Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Hey, uh, it's really great that we can still connect online even when we don't get together, but it's been a while since Cheryl and I have been able to be here, and I just want to say how great it is you know, to be here in person and share, share life and worship and joy together, or sorrow, whatever, but to actually be here. So thank you for coming, and uh, I guess that's my pitch for all of you watching online. God bless you, but come on out when you can, because <laughs> it's good. It's good, and I'm glad that we're here together. Hey, so my name is Neil Josephson, and uh, Cheryl and I lead something called Family Life Canada, and it's our privilege to, to talk today and to enter into a series that pastors started, uh, XOXO, right? Uh, a series about love and relationships, and I'm going to talk today about marriage and sex. And I realize that not everybody in the room is married. Um, but that's the topic I've been given. And if you haven't watched the other sermons or heard them, uh, Pastor talks, and he's done a really nice job about uh, relationships in general and singleness, and, and so so important. So take this whole series as one chunk, and this is one part of it. So uh, Cheryl and I, we lead this thing called Family Life Canada, and our job is to try to strengthen all the marriages of this country, which is a fairly big job. But sometimes when we tell people what we do, Oh, you know, you, you get into a conversation right at the, with a cab driver or at a restaurant with a server or whatever. And they go, what do you guys do? And we tell them that. We always get two questions. One of them is just like, is that a real job? Because, you know, it doesn't seem like a real job. And the second question is this. What's the secret? We always get this question when people find out we work with marriages. What's the secret? So I'm going to tell you the secret today, but not yet. You're going to have to stick around, or if you're online, you're going to have to watch till the end uh, for the secret. First, I wanted to say two things about how love and marriage and sex work. I'm going to tell you all the truth about how those things work. Uh, that's a pretty big order for one message, isn't it? And uh, literally, there are thousands of books written on the topic, hundreds of thousands of hours of teaching available on the topic. So, and, and a lot of it's good. And by the way, check out FamilyLifeCanada.com if you want to know more about what Cheryl and I do. There's a lot of stuff up there for free uh, in this whole area. So check it out. But right now, we're going to just focus for these next few minutes on the most important, most foundational, most meaningful, insightful things I could possibly bring in this limited amount of time. Okay, so this is the best I got. So we're going to dig into one verse that's the core Bible teaching on marriage. There's one verse that's the core teaching. We're going to look at that. But just before we do, I want to share with you probably the most helpful, insightful concept from social science that I think it helps explain the way this whole thing about marriage and relationship works, okay? So there was a guy who was a professor at Yale. He's not there anymore, but he was there for about three decades. His name is Robert Sternberg. And he said, you know what? A lot of people talk about love. But nobody's ever tried to research it. Nobody's ever tried to nail it. Like, in social science terms, what is this? 
So he did the work, and you can check it out. There's, if, you, if this intrigues you, there's a lot more. Check out Robert Sternberg and the triangular theory of love, right? So here, here we got it. Um, that sort of de-romanticizes love, doesn't it? The triangular theory of love. But, but here's the three things, okay? There's a lot of wisdom here, a lot of insight here. These are the three characteristics. There's, there's the emotional side of love, which we call intimacy on the right side. There's the physical, biological side of love that Sternberg calls passion. And then there's the willful side of love on the bottom axis there called commitment. He said when those three are happening, he calls it consummate love. We might call it true love. And I think a little later I'm going to connect it to the Bible and call it biblical love when all three things are happening. But this is a great model. You should think about this and check out Sternberg's stuff if you want to know more about it. All three have to be important. Here's kind of the way the relationship journey goes, right? First, we might be drawn to somebody uh, because they're in interesting uh, or we want to know more about them because they're funny or they're clever or, or, or they seem to be mysterious or, you know, there's something about them that kind of draws us towards them. They're kind and they're creative and they're spiritual and we start getting drawn towards them. Then on the other side, there, there's a physical attraction and there's, this is natural, right, that we would be uh, drawn to them with some kind of physical interest and desire. That's part of the journey. Now, the healthier relationships start to go deeper on the emotional side. We start to try to learn more about who they are, what their ideas are, their values, their fun factor, their character. We start understanding the person more and more. We start um, becoming more and more vulnerable. We start to build trust. We grow friendship. We grow more intimate. We start feeling safer. We go deeper. This is all growing on that emotional side. Then we start going, hmm, this person, uh, this could be marriage material, right? You start being drawn towards them, not just interesting, but you start, this could be a life partner as you go deeper on that emotional side. You could get to the point where you choose to make a marriage commitment, and that's the bottom of Sternberg's design here. We make a singular, lifelong commitment to this person. See, because when you say yes to somebody, that means you say no to everybody else. You know this, right? When you say yes to somebody in marriage, you're saying no to everybody else. Say you and you only. That's the promises that we make. I don't know if many of us would enter marriage if the, if the promise our partner was willing to make was, well, it might be you, at least you for right now, but I'm not so sure about later. I mean, who would enter into a, a lifelong, that's not a commitment, is it? So we make this commitment, a yes to them, that I would marry them. Now, again, I just want to pause here. Pastor Jason's done a nice job. We don't need to be married. We don't need to be married. The Apostle Paul uh, and Pastor uh, taught from this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, look, I wish you were all like me, meaning single. And so, because he's so passionate about the kingdom of God. He said, look, if you were like me, you'd be able to serve God all the time. But then he rightly points out, if you get married, you're concerned about the issues of your partner. Because that's appropriate. That you would be. To get married and then disregard the needs of your spouse is not biblical. So you don't need to be married. You can serve God whether you're married or not. You can help fulfill the Great Commission, whether you're married or not. You can help fulfill the Great Commandment uh, to love your neighbors yourself without being married. Like, all the important things happen. You don't have to be married. But if you choose to be married, I'm trying to lay out for you what it means. Okay. So we have this emotional depth. We make the commitment. And then we can add the third piece, the passion piece, that 
fills the triangle. And now we have what Sternberg calls consummate love, what I would call biblical love. Because I think all three of these things are pretty interesting. They really uh, reflect what the Bible teaches about marriage. So now I'm going to show, show you the verse, the one verse that is the core description of marriage is found throughout the Bible. Moses taught this in the book of Genesis. We have that verse. Go ahead and throw it up. Moses taught this in the book of Genesis. Jesus taught it. In, uh, it's recorded in Matthew. It's also recorded in Mark. And then the Apostle Paul taught it in Ephesians. And if you're a Bible person, if Moses, Jesus, and Paul all say the same thing, that's a big deal. You, you, go to, you go to the bank on that. Those are the three authoritative voices throughout Scripture, right? And here's the verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So let's connect some dots here, okay? The first thing is leave your mother and father. Now, that doesn't mean you have to physically leave, though that might not be a bad idea. But the point is you can, you can um, be in, overly enmeshed with your mother and father, even though you live across the world or across the country. And you can live next door, as Cheryl and I do, with one of our sons and his family. And I think we managed to do it with, uh, with a healthy independence. So it's not just physical, but that probably plays a bit of a factor. We're talking mostly on the emotional side. Now follow, follow with me here. It's difficult. And we, Cheryl and I have talked to thousands of couples. And it's usually a difficult journey for a person who spent, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever, and the primary voices in their life have been parents or family, it's really difficult then to have a 30-minute ceremony and all of a sudden you start allowing this new person to be the primary voice in you. It's a, it's, it's a challenging journey, and sometimes it goes smoother and sometimes it goes worse, partly because of the couple and partly sometimes the parents don't make it easy. But I can't tell you how often... Cheryl and I work with couples who think they're having an issue, and it's really about family issues. Unresolved family issues. So, so by leaving mother and father, what, what I think we've learned, and I think what the scriptures would teach is that we get to the place where we honor our mother and father. That's one of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't go away because you get married. All of a sudden, like, you get a pass once you're married. You don't need to honor your mother and father. Not biblical. Not true. But honoring your mother and father when you're 15 years old living under their roof is different than when you're 35 years old and married establishing your own family. It's a different thing. Both parties have to transfer and get into a new place. So we need to come to a place where uh, we have left mother and father. Still honor, still respect, but we have emotionally left them and uh, in a healthy way. And to us, this is what it means. There's so much to say here, but I'm just going to say one thing. I think you know you're in a healthy place with your parents. And, and I recognize in the room, there's all stages of relationship here. And in some cases, in my case, my parents have already died. Um, so processing your relationship with your parents when maybe they're not even alive anymore is challenging. But here's what being in right relationship means. If we could get to the place where we thank God for all the good things your parents have done, and we forgive our parents for all the ways they've let us down or hurt us. Because everybody's parents have done that. None of us have parents so great that they've never disappointed or hurt us. None of us have parents so bad they never did anything good for us or blessed us. Sometimes we can get trapped in our narratives and we, and we can go there, but it's not true. So if we can get to that place where we say, thank you, God, for my mom and dad for what they did, and, and I release them and I forgive them for the things that 
uh, have, have hurt me. Now we're on the right track. See, now you're ready to enter a new primary relationship. Have you ever like left one job or maybe moved from one town? We just met a lovely family who moved here from Calgary. You know, it's really hard to, to um, enter into your new community when you're still wishing you were back there, isn't it? It's hard to do the same thing in a marriage. When you're longing to be back home or maybe mom and dad are reaching forward and trying to pull you back home, it's going to affect your marriage. So that's why this wisdom comes from Moses, Jesus, and Paul a man should leave his father and mother. That, that's fundamentally it. And, you know, we've taught this all over the place, and, and people come to us, and we've had people say, you don't understand, you know, you don't understand my culture, and that's not possible in my culture. And, and I, you know, I just want to tell you that this was taught in a very patriarchal culture. This is not uh, a modern, independent, North American thing. This was taught throughout the Scripture over the centuries. And it's, it's a great truth. So let's chew on that. That's the first thing. And so whether, if you're married, think about the impact and try to live in restored or right relationship to your mother and father. If you're not married yet, get right with your mom and dad. It's going to help you in your future relationships. Come to peace with them. Call them up this afternoon and say, hey, mom, dad, I heard this preacher, and it just inspired me. I just want to thank you. Blow your parents' minds, right? Because they think you're calling for money. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> See, I just need to tell you, I love you. I want to thank you. Just, you know, get into, wherever you're at with your parents, try to get a little bit better place. It does feed into what Sternberg calls consummate love. What I'm saying is the biblical plan for marriage. All right. Get healthy with our families. Then be joined together. The text says be joined to his wife. Now, this is that commitment piece, right? It's essential. Even Sternberg goes, you got to have a commitment piece. Now, it's not uncommon for us to hear, and you've heard it too, and maybe some of you got these thoughts. Hey, you know, we're in love. We're committed. We don't need to get married. It's just a piece of paper. You heard these kinds of things? I guess I got a couple responses. One of them is, yeah, it's just a piece of paper that it's written on, but what's on the paper is what matters. And if I have those are my promises and that's my word, that piece of paper matters. I mean, I have a mortgage with my name on it. My bank takes it pretty seriously. I don't just say to my bank, hey, it's just a piece of paper. It documents what I've promised to do and what they've promised to do, and we live by that. It's not just a piece of paper. The paper represents what's really going on in a couple. These promises, these holy promises that we intend to the best of our ability to live up to. And Cheryl and I live in the real world and it's very possible in this room that uh, you have been in a marriage that is not still together. Or you were raised in a home where the marriage uh, it didn't last. We know that and there's big stories behind all those things. And a lot of pain behind all those things. So I, we don't brush by this lightly. But nobody starts out building a healthy marriage without making a commitment. And that commitment is intended to be for life. So that's how we start. So it's not just a piece of paper. We make these commitments. And then the second thing I'll, I'll say to people too when they say things like this, you know, well, if you really are committed, then, then why not live that out publicly? Why not make the promise if you really are? You know, there's, there's some great research um, done by a 
a psychologist at the University of Denver named Scott Stanley, and he's coined the phrase sliding, not deciding. And, and as he studied pre, uh, pre, um, couples that aren't married, uh, that just live together, uh, he's discovered, and by the way, you know this, that, that couples that um, live together without the benefit of marriage, without the commitment of marriage, uh, break up far, far more than, than people who make those commitments. And incidentally, people that live together before marriage also don't stay together at the same rate as people who make a marriage commitment. So the stats would indicate that if you really want to go the distance, make the commitment, do the marriage. So sliding versus deciding, Stanley says, this is what happens with a lot of people in North America, is we start dating, and that's great, we're building the emotional side, then we go to the passionate side, and we add the physical side, the sexual side, and then um, uh, once we do that, we say, oh, well, you know, we're sleeping together. We might as well, like, move in together, save at least one rent. And it seems practical, so you start living together. And then maybe, uh, maybe a baby comes along, and then you become parents together. Uh, and you just, these things just kind of happen. And then at some point, a couple goes, wait a minute. I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to be with you. I didn't choose to be a parent with you. It just kind of happened. We just kind of slid into it. We didn't choose this path. And what the research indicates is at that moment, some people then do choose, God bless them, but a lot of people go, I didn't choose this. I'm out. I'm going to slide out. So everything I know from the biblical pattern to the social science would suggest if you want to build a marriage that lasts, that has a, the best possible chance of lasting and growing, make a commitment. So we're drawn emotionally, we make a commitment, and then the Bible says they shall become one flesh. Now, Sometimes the church hasn't been 100% really comfortable talking about sex. Um, so sometimes we only make this a theological, mystical, somehow we become one and, you know. Yeah, something special happens spiritually and theologically. But the Bible is very committed to husbands and wives being sexually active. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's really clear. It says the wife... Uh, her body doesn't belong to her. She gives it to her husband uh, to fulfill his sexual needs. And then the very next verse is the husband's body doesn't belong to himself. He gives it to his wife so he can fulfill her sexual needs. It's very mutual. It's back to back. First Corinthians chapter 7. The Bible's all about this. The Bible welcomes this. The Bible celebrates this uh, when it comes in the right order. So we're drawn emotionally. We make a commitment. And then we're fueled and sustained by this beautiful thing that God's created, the sexual thing. Uh, now, we've taught this before, but uh, this quite a while ago. Uh, the, the, our bodies do this incredible thing. Like, when, when a couple um, comes together and they have sexual pleasure together, uh, the uh, chemicals released in their body called dopamine. You know this chemical? It's, it's the I want more of that chemical. It's uh, related to all kinds of addictions. It, it's associated with pleasurable uh, things that happen to you, and you say, yeah, yeah, I'll have more of that, please. So that's what happens when, when we make love. And then we're flooded with this other hormone called oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. So when couples are, are sexually active together, they are actually in physiological ways bonded to one another. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It certainly is when you're committed to one another, when you plan to be there for the long term, you'll just grow more and more and more connected. It's really good for us. It's the way God built it. Um, the second question when we're talking about sex, the second question Cheryl and I always get, people find out what we do. They say, you know, what's the secret? And then they go, how many times 
a week should couples have sex? We get asked that all the time, and we never answer it. I'll answer it with a story. There was a guy who was teaching a whole room of men uh, about sex, and, and he posed this question. He said, okay, raise your hands. How many of you would be happy if, uh, if you made love once a day? And virtually everybody's hands went up. He said, how many of you would be happy if you uh, made love once a week? Most of the hands stayed up if you went down. How many of you would be happy if you made love once a month? Uh, some more hands went down, still lots of hands up. How many of you would be happy if you made love once a year? There's one guy, one guy at the back, waving his hand. And the speaker says, you, sir, you seem pretty happy about this. Once a year, he said, yeah, and today's the day. <laughs> so I, I, that's not a real story as far as I know, but it's good. You know, so when people ask us, you know, how often should a couple, um, you know, make love? We go, I don't know. Are you guys happy? See, the problem with the question is there's usually a subtext. The couple wants us to give them some ammunition that they can defend themselves or attack their partner or, or find out whether they're normal or find out whether they're subnormal. You know, it's just we never answer the question. The question is, are you healthy and happy? And, and we guide couples through this. You need to become healthy and happy. Uh, so that you can enjoy it the way God wants you to. And uh, just heads up, those of you who are married know this, but all the other people, uh, you may discover this. This is just another area where two individuals are going to have to sort out your differences. <laughs> you know, there is this notion that, you know, if, you, if you're well married, you'll just be this seamless connection. No friction. What you want is what they'll want. And, you know, it's just, it, mm, heads up. You're going to have to sort it out. And this is another one of those areas where you're going to have to talk. You're going to have to sort it out, but you can. So the question is not how often. The question is, are you happy? Are you healthy? Because this is a happy, healthy piece of God's plan for marriage. As we grow emotionally, as we make a commitment, when we add in God's design for lovemaking to fuel this whole thing, this is a biblical view of marriage. Are you with me? Rhymes with what Dr. Sternberg has discovered. I love it when modern science just sort of rediscovers what God already ordained, what God already built, what God already uh, declared as true. And I think this is one of those, those nice moments. I think there's a quote here. Yeah, this sort of captures it, right? When emotional intimacy and physical passion meet within the durable bounds of commitment, this is a biblical marriage. This is a marriage that can grow and can go the distance. So let's just troubleshoot this a little bit. You see, passion alone, strong as it may be, passion alone, sexual desire alone, sexual fulfillment alone will flame out. And it'll drive us to hunt for more. And this is what we see in the hookup culture. This is what we see in the false promises of porn. Uh, temporarily satisfying drives you for more and flames out. Uh, a, a marriage that's only commitment will be cold. Without passion, without emotion, it'll be cold. It may stay together, but it's not what it could be. But when we add then emotional intimacy, which is involved with honesty and communication and vulnerability and trust and all those things grow, when we have emotional intimacy with physical passion within the bounds of commitment, this is true love and this is a biblical marriage. All right, those are the elements. Now here's the secret. You ready? Here's what makes this whole thing work. 
I'm going to tell you this secret, but some of you, I'm just going to tell you right now, some of you aren't going to like it. Some of you aren't going to like it because it's too simple. Some of you aren't going to like it because it's too hard. But here's the secret. Put the other person first. Now some of you are going, come on, man. You've been married 43 years. Is this your full-time gig and that's all you got? It's five words? <laughs> Shouldn't it be more complicated than that? You know, when I was younger, I used to really love complexity. You know, I was very impressed with complexity. As I get older and older, you know what? I really admire simplicity. If you can tell the truth about something in a simple way, I like that. And this is as simple as we can make it. Because Cheryl and I have worked on all this stuff together. I'm, I'm the one up here, but we've worked on all this. Put the other person first. So I know some of you are disappointed. You're hoping for more, something more impressive, but that's all I got. Let me show you how this works. Now, some of you got cups and stuff in your hand. You're going to need both your hands for this. I want you to, I, I, I got to, I got to, yeah, you're loosening up? Good. Okay, so this is, this is um, an illustration I learned somewhere along the way. So our hands, uh, and, our, and our hands, our thumbs will represent uh, our parents. Index fingers will represent our siblings. Middle finger, because it's tallest, it represents us, the individual. Uh, the ring finger will represent our marriage if we're married. And then uh, pinky finger will represent children, okay? And put your hands together. In life, we can lose our parents and be separated from them. We can lose our siblings, be separated from them. Yeah, see, you can spread your finger. Um, ring finger. You can be separated or break uh, your marriage. And, and we can lose our children or be separated from them. But if we take the middle fingers, which represent us, me and Cheryl, you and your spouse, and we humble ourselves, fold it down, fold your middle finger down, right? As far as you can, so it's knuckle to knuckle. You can still lose your parents, still lose your siblings, you can still lose your children. Can you separate your ring finger? When we put each other first, we will not be broken. We will be bonded together in a life of humility and service and compassion and kindness. That's how you do it. I've confused some of you, so you might know. I'll have a tutorial up here afterwards so we can work on this. It's not complicated. Put the other person first, but it's difficult. So Cheryl and I, um, a couple years ago, uh, when we were flying freely, so it would be three, four years ago maybe, um, we were going to an, uh, teach at a marriage event, and it required us to connect planes in Chicago and O'Hare's airport. So we got on the plane here in Vancouver, stupid o'clock in the morning. Um, we flew to Chicago to change planes. And uh, when you get off the plane, those of you who travel, the first thing you can when you land is what? You turn your phone on. So we turn our phones on. Cheryl and I lead Family Life Canada, which is this small, uh, not-for-profit. Um, and we turn our phones on. We both got the same message from the office. Something had happened that, that went sideways, and it was really nobody's fault. It was an external party that wasn't delivering. But it had the potential to cost our little ministry way more money than we had, way more money than we could afford. So immediately our anxiety goes up, and uh, our stress level goes up. And so we're walking through O'Hare, pulling our little suitcases, and I, and I immediately know what to do. 
And Cheryl immediately knows what to do. Problem was they weren't the same thing. So we're talking about why this has to happen, and Cheryl's talking about why this has to happen, and we're agitated. For one thing, we're tired. You should never have fights when you're tired because it just they don't go well. And, uh, and we're stressed. And uh, so we're maxed out, and we're just... We're going at it, and, 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 and we get to this intersection in the terminal. There's a bunch of terminals. Oh, here's a really big airport. And we get to here, and I go, I can't even be with you right now. So I said, I'm going to go over there and have lunch. And she said, fine, I'm going to go over there and have lunch. And, and we're flying on our way to do a marriage conference, by the way. <laughs> so I'm telling you, this is hard, and you keep dealing with it. So, you know, Cheryl's got her plan. I got my plan. You know, I'm sitting down there. But then as I sit down, you know, I'm starting to think through this thing. Finally, smart enough to start praying about this a little bit instead of just going off. Um, I start to calm down and I go, well, whatever the problem is, I shouldn't have been that way with Cheryl. And it shouldn't, you know, that wasn't helpful and that wasn't respectful and that wasn't the way I want to treat her. I'm sitting there and, and much to Cheryl's credit, she came to find me first and she pulled out the chair across the little table from me and she sat down and said, I'm really sorry I was wrong. I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> No, I didn't. But, you know, her humility inspired that for me, you know, and this is the way it works. She comes, she humbles herself and says, you know, that wasn't okay. And I go, you're right, Cheryl, it wasn't okay. We still got this problem, but my problem's not you. And we got to be better to each other to sort this out. And, and you know what? I want to tell you what marriage, marriage is a uh, daily opportunity to do this hundreds of times to humble yourself, to put the other person first, to listen to them before you answer, to think about how this is going to bless them or not before you act. Man, this is what marriage calls out of us. And it's so good for us because it heals me of my sinful self for self, you know, or it can. But it makes it really, really difficult, friends. But that's the secret. Put the other person first. Here's a verse that'll help you. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another. You could just stop right there. Submit to one another. But then it says, out of reverence for Christ. So whether you think your partner deserves it, appreciates it, understands it, do it for Jesus. For those of you who are Christ followers. Pastor read the other day from 1 Corinthians 13. I think actually in the first uh, sermon in the series, he taught from 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 5 says this, love does not insist on its own way. Isn't that what I've been talking about? Putting the other person first. Love does not insist on its own way. Now that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And God's gracious and patient to us. How great the Father's love for us, we say. But He wants us to grow that way. He wants us to get there. He wants us to move that way as we get better and better. My favorite fable then I'll wrap this up. A traveler and his companion prepared to set out on a long journey. In preparation, the traveler packed uh, a second coat. His companion asked, why are you bringing a second coat? The traveler responded, I will need it. The traveler then packed a second pair of shoes. His companion asked, why are you packing a second pair of shoes? The traveler responded, I will need them. The traveler packed extra food into his bag, two of every kinds of food he would bring. His companion asked, why are you bringing two of every kind of food? The traveler responded, I will need it. 
The traveler's companion finally set his small bag down and said, look how heavy your load is. Mine is light. I have but one coat, one pair of shoes, and just enough food for the days we will be walking. Why do you need so much? And the traveler said, because your coat Because your coat is old and thin, and because your shoes are old and worn. And having walked with you, I also know that you get hungry a lot. Confounded, the companion said, but when I asked you about these things, you told me that you would need them. Not that I would need them. This is so good. You are my companion, said the traveler. As long as we walk together, there is no difference between your needs and mine. It's marriage. Put the other person first. That's what it takes. And at this point, pretty easy to feel discouraged, right? Like, oh man, <laughs> I am so selfish sometimes. I'm so self-centered. I fail so often. And that's where I want to end. That's why we need Jesus. It says in the scripture that if anyone is in Christ, the old things have passed away and new things have... I need a new heart. More than I need a new marriage book or a new sermon, a new anything, I need a new heart. And that's what God gives us. When we come and say, I'm struggling with this, I have so much difficulty honoring my spouse. I have so much difficulty getting over my family. I have so much difficulty controlling my passion. Can you help me? And God in his grace comes and says, I will help. I will heal. We will do this. We will build a marriage that honors me, that blesses you, and that lasts. So friends, wherever you're at today, on a relational journey, Think about these things. Wherever you're at in the spiritual journey, Jesus says to you and to me today, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me with your brokenness and I will be your healer. Come to me in your loss and your defeat and I will make you strong. We need Jesus to live this day, to live in marriage, and to reach this world for his sake. So I'm going to leave it there, but man, let this word sink in, especially answer the question, where am I at in this relationship with Jesus? How can I draw close to him today? What did Jesus say to me today? Not what did that guy say to me today? What did Jesus say to me today? Let's pray over that. Jesus, you have been speaking through your Holy Spirit. And I pray now that you, through your Holy Spirit, would take whatever's been good and true and helpful and holy, cause it to take root in each one of our hearts and to bear the fruit that you want. And we would give you all the glory and we give you thanks in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.